This is Coda Radio, episode 261 for June 22nd, 2017. everyone, and welcome to Coder Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and related technologies. This episode is brought to you by our two fine sponsors, DigitalOcean and Scale Your Code. I'll tell you more about those great sponsors as this here show goes on. My name is Chris, and joining us, not just for the first time, but for the 262nd time, it's our host, Mr. Michael Dominic. Hello, Mike! I wish no one was here. <laughs> yes. Well, I'm, it's you know we we wanted to have an, an additional voice on the show this week, and uh, this guy, Jar Jar, some guy named Jar Jar Binks, was really petitioning to be on the show over and over again. Did you hold on nice. a second? Here, hold on a nice. second. Did I? Did you see me? Did you see me touch anything? Okay, <laughs> I didn't touch anything. I swear to God. So let's. And hello, Ronald Jenkins showed up instead. Let's do Coda Radio again. Let's do it. I could do it again. I could do it one more time. Let's do it one more time. Hold on. Here we go. Come on. Come on. Uh, no. Come on. Almost there. Okay, you ready? Okay, you ready? It's almost there. Get ready. It's coming. Are you, I, I never. I've never done this before. Let's see if I can do it for a second time. Ready? Three, two, one. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Coder Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and related technologies. This episode is brought to you by our two fine sponsors, DigitalOcean and Scale Your Code. I'll tell you more about those great sponsors as this here show goes on. My name is Chris, and join us every single week, perhaps for the last time from New Jersey, it's our host, Mr. Michael Dominic. Hello, Mike! You know, the road ain't no place to raise a family, Chris. <laughs> Dude, that's how good we are. We could do it. Oh, we could do a whole show of intros. <laughs> that would be actually a really good April Fool's. Let's shelve that because I got something more exciting. Uh, we do have a very special guest in studio. It's a crossover episode from User Air. It's the beard. Hello. He said no, 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 beard. <laughs> oh, God. Oh. No. <laughs> Damn it, dude. Damn it. No. <laughs> it was almost... We did two intros with no Jar Jar in a row, man. Okay? All right? So... Yeah. Nice. Representing there. He comes over. He's appropriating our culture with his uh, user air shenanigans and brings it into Coda Radio. Hello, Rika. It's good to have Hi. you here. Uh, so we have, a, we have a fun show coming up this week. Mr. Rikai is here to do a few. Uh, he's been on. He's he's man on the road, on the streets. He's man on the ground. He's like you know the reporters. Like he's out there. I'm boots on the ground, Chris. Yeah, that that's what I was going for. But I didn't want that. You know, I didn't want to trigger Mike and get a whole conversation about you know. <laughs> some, but yeah, uh, so we're going to get into some stuff that uh, Rikai learned while he was wearing his boots. Mike's been spending some time on the NSA's GitHub for some reason. Sega's got some exciting announcements, and uh, we have, we have probably. The most follow up hoopla that we've had in a long time. You guys want to start with our most follow up hoopla? Sure. <laughs> so remember, remember like six months ago on the Coda Radio program when we said that the guy that created uh, Clang and LLVM, worked at Apple, worked on creating the Swift project and was really, really ran a lot of that uh, when he left Apple six months ago to Tesla. Remember when we talked about that? Remember that? We mm-hmm. talked about, yeah, we talked about that. Yeah, it was a big deal. Yeah, it was a big deal. It was a really big deal. What does this mean for Swift, you know? 
What does it mean? Well, uh, it turns out uh, He's garbage at cars. <laughs> <laughs> turns out he says uh, he announced on Twitter that he says turns out that Tesla isn't a good fit for me after all. And uh, Chris Latner, after six months, is out at Tesla and uh, says on Twitter that uh, if anyone's looking for a talented engineer, to give him a call. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, Uncle Tim. Um, I'm so sorry. I I wonder. Uh, do you think he could wind up back at Apple? Of course. Why not? He's the he's the inventor of Swift. Why would he not go back to Apple? He says, "Here's I love the understatedness of his tweet. His his follow up tweet. My resume is easy to find online. Seven years of Swift experience." <laughs> <laughs> Because not I many people can Swift. claim that. What's great is because Twi- yeah. Swift isn't technically hasn't. I don't think it's it hasn't been public for seven years, right? So that's what's so beautiful yeah. about it. It's only been public for a couple of years. So yeah. <laughs> well, that's not true. I got a uh, three recruiters emailing me today for five to ten years of Swift experience. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, is that really starting already? Already that that's that happening? started like the day they announced it on WWDC. Uh, yeah, yeah. Isn't that so? Job requirements. That's a that's a whole topic yeah. we could get into whole sometime. Animals. The LLVM compiler, compiler that was really taken off. Uh, of course, he also worked a lot on Xcode and all those things. <laughs> so Tesla has also released a public statement. This I I thought when he when he name dropped Tesla in his tweet, I was like, you don't really normally have to do that. Here I'm going to read his tweet in its entirety because if you think about it, this is a high profile employee. It's a high profile company. He's coming from another high profile company. This is exactly the kind of thing TechCrunch is written about and going to write about. So Chris Latner originally, I'm sorry, Clatner uh, underscore LLVM. That's genius, right? <laughs> Turns out that Tesla isn't a good fit for me after all. I'm interested to hear about interesting roles for a seasoned engineering leader. That first part turns out Tesla isn't a good fit for me after all. That could have been written, I'm looking for new opportunities. You didn't have to name drop Tesla. You didn't have to say it wasn't a good fit, which implies that there was some kind of friction. You didn't have to. It's a very it's a very easy thing to read into, even if there's nothing to read into. It's very easy to read into that. And so Lander didn't really have to tweet that. And it was something Beard and I were talking about. I was like, that seems a little over the top. Well, to me, it seems more like it's coming from a dude with an ego. It's like pushing the blame off to someone else other than himself. Well, okay, so so I can't believe I'm defending the Swift guy, but I guess I'm going to have to. <laughs> he is the dude who invented Swift, one of the most popular and like. Well, I'm not saying his ego is worse. Not deserved. Aren't you, Mister Anti Rockstar Superhero Developer? Though I am, but I. I I mean, no one knows what really happened here, right? But wouldn't you imagine if you were this guy, you expect to go in and kind of be like the VP of engineering or yeah, something? Yeah, you're coming in and you're going to change things up. Yeah, you, you got expectations. Right, and not like Elon Musk, you know. I, I get the impression that Tesla's not a place where you could get hired into and make a big change, I guess is what I'm saying. Just like Google, right? Like if I got a job at Google tomorrow, I would probably be the worst developer there. Or Apple. Or really no, I'd be, I'd, I'd be okay at Apple. Well, you might, but I mean, like, could you think Latner? I mean, even Latner. Well, he did make big changes, though. He made huge change at Apple. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I feel like Tesla. Like, I've read a bunch of their like white papers and a bunch of kind of the the limited stuff they're publicly talking about from their engineering team. They, and this is not a dig at Apple, though it definitely sounds like one. They are deep in some pretty. I won't say speculative, but some pretty. I don't know, out there engineering, right? Sure. And like Very Chris Ladder looking. worked on a 
better version of a mobile app programming language, which is great. Like I could not have invented Swift. It was a necessary evolutionary uh, step that he was right. It's a different. It's a different sort of job, right? It's Hmm. the difference between painting a car and like inventing the internal combustion engine, or in this case, an electrical engine. But I I don't know. I I sort of was surprised, right? Because like a more appropriate place for Latner might be IBM where what they do is application consulting and development, although that's a super boring field to be in. I'm in that field, right? Consulting and development, super boring. Um, Maybe he wants to do a startup. And if I was him, I would simply walk up to Sand Hill Road, say, my name is Chris Latner. Please give me money. What are you going to do? My name is Chris Latner. Please give me money. And that would be the end of the conversation. (laughs) Here's what Tesla said after his tweet. Um, They talked about Andre. One of the world's leading experts in computer vision and deep learning is joining Tesla as director of AI and autopilot vision, who will be reporting directly to Elon Musk. Uh, Andre has worked to give computers vision through his work in ImageNet, as well as imagination through the development of generative models and the ability to navigate the Internet with reinforcement learning. Uh, He was most recently a research scientist at OpenAI. Uh, he'll be working closely with the team who has overall responsibility for autopilot hardware and software, which is where it was believed Latner was going. Um, and they also talk about how he has a PhD at Stanford University where he demonstrated the ability to drive complex descriptions of images using deep neural nets. Regarding Chris, when specifically asked, Tesla said, Chris just wasn't the right fit for Tesla, and we've mm. decided to make a change. We wish mm. him the best. Yeah, I've been told I'm not the right fit, too. That's not great. Um so, but you can see the difference, or, or Beard, am I crazy, right? Like no, the difference between that like, dude seems like a much better fit from his resume. Yeah, like he seems like the right guy for the more R and D focused company, where Apple's kind of like, we're going to sell you the same black. Really, though, guys. For- I mean, at the end of the day, you can okay. have you can have your PhD who worked at OpenAI role in there and tell you about deep learning neural nets and yeah, how great yeah, they are. But, but he's got experience in relevant industries. But somebody has to actually write the code that runs in the car computer. Like at the end of the day, you have to have somebody who yeah, knows it. Right, need to pay, but you don't need to pay the the salary that a guy like Chris Latner demands. I totally, one hundred percent disagree because what you need in a car is bulletproof code you need somebody who's designed llvm and clang you need somebody who's thought about swift and the problems that swift is trying to solve writing car software i think that's why latner was a really good fit well there's a whole bunch of cheap bsd developers out there (laughs) oh wow savage oh man yeah yeah i mean latner Uh, might be one of them a lot of them have llvm experience yeah yeah that's why i say he's probably one of them uh i I, so So, i I think you mean i think probably they put him in the wrong position they tried to put him in a vision leadership role and they need somebody writing incredible code he's a compiler and language architect sort of guy right that doesn't mean he can't develop application level logic it just means that it's not his specialty and i don't i don't know i mean how much who knows what they're doing at Tesla, right? That's part of the problem. They release these white papers and they're very like mad scientists got drunk on a bottle of Smirnoff, which by the way is made in America, which I recently found out and was disappointed at. And just like, hey, we're going to have our cars be able to see in 360 degrees because math. That has nothing to do with like writing a really tight, you know, recursion method, right? Hmm. Yeah, I'm not saying the the guy isn't a good hire as a coder. No, I'm he's saying, an awesome coder. I'm right. saying he's not a fit for the role that they seem to be trying to put him in. Yeah, yeah. 
I, I think I probably agree. Hey, also just kind of a newsworthy today. Uh, uh, VentureBeat, uh, the Irish Times, and others are reporting that Stripe is now functional in Germany, Switzerland, the Netherlands, Australia, Belgium, and Luxembourg, which not only is that great for developers in those countries, but also great for developers in the States that want customers in those countries. So Stripe just continues to get better. Stripe is one of those things that we've stopped talking about, but has not stopped being badass. Mm -hmm. I thought it was, well, you disagree. No, no, I, I, I use Stripe for all my stuff. It's just, it's, it's, it's kind of a utility now, right? If I need to sell something I saw on Stripe. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Also, we've seen uh, some announcements of some uh, Bitcoin blockchain startups. They're not, they're not startups around Bitcoin itself, but more and more startups around technologies that use the public ledger blockchain technology. Uh, shared database where uh, information is verified cryptologically, and once it's part of the record, it can't be removed. Um, that seems to be something that appeals to the Linux Foundation. It seems to appeal to Bank of America, IBM, and now a startup uh, has raised. Uh, it's, I think it's called. Uh, uh, I think they might just call. They might have called themselves Blockchain. Actually, uh, they've just raised forty million dollars. They announced today, Series B from Lake Star and GV. Forty million dollars for a company that's going to take an open source cryptocurrency uh, backend database and. Uh, and uh, and make uh, and make a product around it. And part of the funding came from Google. Uh, Google's at least Google's venture capital arm. So that's uh, that's kind of interesting that Google's getting involved with this. Seventy million in total. This company's raised in funding for a, for a, something based around blockchain technology. How about that? Where's this going? This might be your new future. Screw bots, Mike. You say you're all in on bots. Screw bots. How about blockchains? Is it too complex? Is it too? You think it's too complex? I I thought for sure the IRS would shut this shit down by now. Well, so divorce Bitcoin the currency from I, we don't have to talk about this actually. I realize maybe we don't nobody cares. But di- divorce Bitcoin the currency from blockchain. Think of blockchain as a distributed verified database that everybody has a copy of. All records are public and uh they're verifiable by anyone. Yeah, it's essentially a, a no trust database. Yeah. And it's a shared PDP shared distributed database. So uh, you That's can, interesting. Yeah, and you can use blockchain. People have embedded child porn in the blockchain. You can embed That's... software because anything you can break down, anything you can encode, anything that can be broken down and encoded can be can be in the block. I mean, it's just. That's just the way it works. Like that's how technology – like you can break things down into numbers and then recombine them later on and have something. Uh, you have to be able to reconstruct it. Um, but so you anything that you can break up into numbers and digits, you can store in the blockchain. Okay, so okay, so a couple questions. One, uh, Pixel in the chat is talking about blockchains plus medical records as a possible huge right now. Huge, yeah. Wouldn't that like really? Wouldn't that just like amazingly violate HIPAA? Well, you don't have so you don't have to make it public. You could have a shared blockchain amongst your servers. You could have your oh, own. I see. So it's on, okay, okay. So you're not talking like a big old like like Bitcoin style global blockchain. You could. You're talking you could. specified. You could have, yeah, and you or you could have yeah, you could have something amongst all of your own backend servers. You could have you could have something that uh, one thing that's being discussed, one of the things the Bank of America and IBM are looking into is essentially a backend ledger for large large banks to transfer money between the banks. So they would have a shared blockchain that is that is implemented by IBM. That is, it's like a, it's a, it runs as a, so, it's a server software that IBM implements for these banks, and it allows these banks to have a shared ledger. 
that there's, so they, they, you, that is cryptographically verified. So you basically sort of trust the people you're dealing with, but not exactly. Well, no, you trust the math. So it's because it's it's using okay. it's using publicly documented and proven crypto. Uh, you essentially, as long as the math checks out, it, it, it there's there's no there's no like uh, there's no gray area. Yeah, you remove the need for trust too because it it tracks everything and you can't remove it. Right, that's it. You can't. So it's a ledger that every transaction is once it's recorded, it can never be undone, and so you can't really you can't fudge. There's yeah, no fudge. You can't hide things. And so if you're using it for like certain types of like information exchange between companies that might otherwise have trust issues, it could be useful. Okay, so so it is literally taking the application from like Bitcoin and saying we are going to record every transaction, every mining operation ever, and encode it in this format. And just doing it for something else and saying, hey, yeah. I'm Chase Bank, you're Bank of America. We loan each other money every night because, you know, we actually don't have any real capital. Yeah. So, yes. okay. Yeah. And when I, when I hosted Plan B ages ago, I used to – my mantra was Bitcoin is interesting. The blockchain is the real value. The blockchain – Yeah, that's much more interesting, right? Bitcoin to me seems like something that's just like begging for a prison term. Yeah. Right? Or IRS investigation at least at the minimum. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So, the, but the thing is, is like Linux, the blockchain technology is open source. So, a bunch of different companies, including startups and large companies, are are basically skunk working different types of projects right now. Now, of course, there's like blockchain running on some powerful Linux machines with GPUs, but the better ones all run on BSD. I've been told. Well, so there's the <laughs> there's the mining aspect, which is the crypto verification, and right. then there's the database aspect, which is just the blockchain. So you can have the blockchain without doing any mining, without without any like a GPU or CPU overhead, other than just participating on the network and responding and adding information. Um, it's complicated, but it's it's. It's in, it's the Bitcoin, cryptocurrency mining, and the blockchain are all three separate. They're all in, in, in Bitcoin, they're all one thing, but they are all actually three separate open source technologies mm. in a sense. I, I'm generalizing to make it easy to understand, but yeah. Uh, one thing I thought uh, was kind of fun, you know, we should do some follow up from last week because this is. This is one of those things where you tell somebody something, they try it, and, and it, it really turns out great. So I want to I want to take a from that page. Let's take a moment and thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. DigitalOcean.com. Sign up and use our promo code Coder Digital and check out this new. Okay, first they got a really really cool new feature coming. I'll tell you about that in a second. I get really excited, and sometimes I forget to just tell you what DigitalOcean is. It's a simple cloud hosting provider that you can spin up a rig on their incredible infrastructure in less than a minute. They have sweet, sweet 40 gigabit E bandwidth coming into their hypervisors. They have data centers all over the world. They have a dashboard to manage this that if you're a pro that's been doing this kind of stuff for a long time, it's, it's like getting a nice cold drink of water on a hot summer's day. And if you've never set up a server before, you're so appreciative that you can get working on this and not feel completely lost. They've really struck that balance. And then they have an API that echoes all of that. Fantastic documentation that's that's better than it should be, and it's really easy to follow. And then they have open source applications that are one click away. But here's the new thing that I'm super excited about. Object storage is coming soon. And if you want to get in on the early stuff, you want, you want the good thing soon, you got to sign up for early access. And if you do it, you get a terabyte free. So go to DigitalOcean.com, create an account. 
Use our promo code CODERDIGITAL. Get a $10 credit, and then you can mess around with their rigs. You can run their hourly rigs because they can do pricing that's just – I mean it's just unbelievable. Or just run a machine like the $5 machine. Run it for two months for free. Use our promo code CODERDIGITAL. Run it two months for free. And then check out their object storage. And if you sign up for early access, you get a terabyte free. That is so cool. Uh, that is going to be big. DigitalOcean.com. Use our promo code CODERDIGITAL. Big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. DigitalOcean.com. Use the promo code CODERDIGITAL after you sign up. Object storage. So the fish shell was mentioned last week on the show, and uh, Mike, like the trooper he is, installed it. And now you're hooked, aren't you, Mr. Dominic? I am hook, line, and sinker. <laughs> Get it? See what we did there? You see? Yeah, you see? What? Have you tried it, Rikai? Oh, yeah. I love the fish shell. Oh, you do? Yeah. Okay. You might have been the one that told me about it then. Some, somebody told me about it at one point. It might have been the chat room. It's a command shell line for the 90s. It's a smart, user-friendly, nice, simple, auto-suggesting command line for Mac OS, Linux, and the rest of the family, whatever the hell that is. I don't know. I've never heard of that. It supports 24-bit true color, which I love. It has uh, a very, very handy auto-suggestion feature that uh, yes. as you type, it auto-completes. You, you're loving it already, aren't you? And you're just like a weekend. You're already loving it. Just the, just the auto-complete alone is enough. Yeah, it is. And you do have some breakages every now and then. But, you know, you just you go back to Bash really quick, and it's, it's no big deal. Um, and I didn't realize it was available for macOS, uh, so that's very cool. Yeah, it says it's like uh, it says uh, a fish suggests commands as you type based on the history and completions, just like a web browser. Watch out, Netscape Navigator (laughs) 4.0. This is their website. That's pretty good. You know, I like or uh, fish shell so much that uh, I even use it on Windows. I replaced the bash (gasps) shell in the bash for Windows with fish. Hold on, hold on. Hold on. You installed the uh, Windows subsystem for Linux? Yep. Well, when the hell did that happen? Oh, ages ago. Well, like, dude. When it was in preview release. This is the kind of thing we would generally talk about. <laughs> like, what the hell? <laughs> How often do you use it? Not very often. Oh, really? Yeah. Is not that useful or what? Uh, I mean, I can just SSH into a Linux box instead. Uh-huh. So that's got to be a pretty common – I mean, that's got to be a pretty common thought. Like, well, this is nice, but I could just SSH in to my server. Yeah, it's good for Windows developers, I guess. Have you tried it, Mike? I've, I've never tried it. Uh, no. I, I Well, I did use it once uh, briefly when it was in, like, beta uh, on the preview, but I haven't had a Windows box in quite some time. Look at listen to you, Mister. I'm going to create apps for the Windows RT. Listen to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that didn't go the right way, as um, we've mentioned. Yeah. It seems like every week, mm, actually, Chris. Actually, it does come up. How 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 is that new Mac with the Touch Bar? By the way, love it. I think it's a great machine, mm. and uh, I take back most of my criticism about it. I still, <laughs> I uh, I still wish it had more than 16 gigs of RAM. I'm not going to lie, and more than five apps that work with the Touch Bar. Yeah, I, I actually. Safari's fine, but we're really where I really it's the it's Final Cut. Final I, Cut, yeah. I I maintain to this day, after having used it for Final Cut, that they created that damn thing for Final Cut, and then they worked their way backwards to try to figure out how to make it work for the rest of the thing. That's got to be it. Final Cut and iTunes. I don't know. I've never used it with iTunes, but I can tell you, using it with Final Cut, it's it's so good that I wish they would make a, just a Touch Bar available for the desktop that I could hook up over USB because. Uh, 
They do. It's called the keyboard. Yeah, but so the thing is, and you would really yeah, appreciate it's context it. sensitive. It, it is like the ability to to have your to be like zoomed way in on your video project, but then right down at your keyboard have a global overview that you can zoom and touch like you would on your phone and pinch and zoom and all that stuff. Um, it's and scrubbing and like when you're in on a clip, you know how it will do. Uh, it'll do. It'll do like tile previews. It'll do. Those all render on the touch bar. And so you can scrub on the fucking touch bar right to where you want. And it brings the edit marker and you can cut right like so you can watch on the screen. It'll fly through footage at an unbelievable pace as you scroll over. the, And then you stop and the, the cut things right there and you just pressed and it cuts. And it is I mean, it's it's it, it almost in, in some operations, I'd say double my speeds. So I, I got to imagine they created it for that. And then they and then. Then they work their way backwards to make it more useful for other stuff. I'm going to put it on the record right now. I think sometime between now and the next WWDC, they are going to announce a keyboard with a touch bar. That would be pretty cool. I would I would probably get that. Well, think about this, that iMac Pro that they announced. I mean, mm-hmm. we're falling deeply into the Apple action show here, but that is like the ultimate, you know, editor made. Yeah, because you want a nice screen. You You want something... 4K resolution is nice, but if you have 5K resolution, you can fit the Chrome on of the editor yeah. on there, and then you get you combine that with the touch bar. It would be well. Not only that, but then they can sell the keyboard nice and cheap. Well, Apple standards one hundred and eighty dollars, two hundred dollars, probably but four thousand dollars. It's yeah. cheaper than buying a MacBook, and then you'll give uh, more access to developers to. But work if they with were going to do that, wouldn't they have just announced the keyboard already with the new iMac Pro? Eh. So, so you mentioned the MacBook, uh, Rikai. Mm-hmm. Did you see the external GPU they came out for developers? Well, it's a, like a it's like a Sonnet uh, third party, yeah, yeah. I didn't see yeah, it. I was I was disappointed to find that it's actually not exactly like you're hooking into PCI GPU. Mm, yeah, uh, there's some significant bottlenecks with the Thunderbolt bus. So well, yeah, especially on your 13. Right, because it's much. So that's the other thing I didn't know until very recently. The 13 inch uh, MacBook Pro from the first model, not the current model. Although I think the current model is the same problem. That has the escape key, so no touch bar. Has a slower Thunderbolt bus than all the others. So it's uh, it's not exactly slower. It's it, being shared. Well, it's, it's being uh, shared between the two ports. So right. you have on the 13 inch. This is really into the weeds, but this actually is going to matter for all PCs. This is yep. not a Mac thing. Right, uh, right. On the on the 13 inch MacBook Pro, you have two PCI lanes per Thunderbolt three port, I believe. And on the 15-inch MacBook Pro, there are four PCI lanes. And this is the same – this is an equivalency to a PCI slot on your motherboard. You, some, you have some PCI slots that have more lanes and others. And part of that is based on the controller on the motherboard. So the smaller machine has a lower-end con- Thunderbolt controller. And so it has only two PCI lanes versus four PCI lanes. Or So it's essentially – that's essentially The larger issue is actually the, the CPUs because um, – on the desktop processors, in, Intel limits the number of PCI lanes. Extremely. Oh, is that what it is? Yep. Oh, okay. Okay. So I think on the highest end desktop processor, you can get like twenty four PCIe lanes, mm-hmm. and sixteen of those already go to the GPU, mm-hmm. and then the rest have to be split between everything else, including the M dot two slot. Yes, but there is a there is a huge caveat to all this. And so, what are you? So, like, if you were going to get, let's say, you were going to get an external eGPU for uh, your machine, what would you use it for? So I was thinking, right, because when I saw the WWDC announcement, my initial thought was, well, this is actually kind of awesome for developers who also want to game on Mac. Because really, you know, the 13-inch MacBook Pro is a pretty common device. I mean, a lot of folks run Linux and BSD on it even. 
Um, or if you are a Mac developer, hook up a GPU when you're at home or at your office yeah. and like yeah. play WoW on yeah. Hi-Res. Friend of the friend of the show, Martin Wimpress, has been testing an eGPU on several Linux machines that have USB C Thunderbolt, and it's working. It's working well. So it's the nice thing about it, it, Mike, is yeah. So the nice thing about it is you know you you could buy one eGPU box with a pretty nice graphics card in it, maybe like a 1080 or a uh, AMD RX 580, something that's pretty high end and uh, that works with your machine, and um. You buy it once, you put it in this enclosure, and you can move it between a Dell XPS 13, you can move it between right. a, a MacBook Pro, you can, you know, you can move it between all the – so you, you invest once in a GPU, and now you have something that works across a lot of your machines. And that's pretty appealing to me, even if there is a compromise in, in PCI bandwidth. So I got the impression from some of the forums I was reading that the 13-inch model that I had was not going to perform very well at all for gaming in terms of the GPU. Yeah, yeah, I think that's where you're really. Well, it depends on the game, but you're really gonna you're really gonna notice it that that PCI lane limitation in gaming the most. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm thinking. Now, if you're using it for now, uh, if you're using it for Mantle or uh, you know Machine ML or uh, Vulkan or sure. OpenCL, then the 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 thing about that is. The PCI bandwidth issue almost doesn't matter. It don't. It it could almost be. It could almost be USB three, because the the workload gets transferred to the GPU RAM. The, it's stored there, and then the GPU processors compute on it, and then they deliver the result back to the host PC. And that doesn't need four lanes of PCI bandwidth. That is. That is. Here's my question. Let me think about it. Okay. Here's my answer, and that can that can be done over. Uh, over uh, uh, two lanes of PCI. Okay, so basically, it's that the PCI lanes are the limiting factor on this model of machine. Yeah, yep. But depending um, on the workload, the, if you're using it for machine learning, or if right. you're using it for maybe even like say Bitcoin mining, uh, it's plenty of bandwidth. Mm, so my dream of like the kind of naked robotic core here to steal something <laughs> from ATP. <laughs> Is, is not going to happen with my my. No, not, <laughs> I mean, you could actually. You, I would bet you. I would actually bet you a steak dinner that you would have better gaming performance with an external GPU than you would with the built-in GPU on that machine. Yeah. Uh, so well, I you, think that's almost certainly so true. You, there is no. Yeah, and then later on, when you got yeah. a, a different machine or a new laptop or an additional machine, you could just then you would have a, a powerful GPU. You could add to that, and it, in, in in a sense, it sort of gives you the option to say, "Well, from now on, I'm just going to get machines with Intel graphics that have great right. battery life because I have this external GPU that I'll just plug in when I ever need it." Or I can spend like two hundred and fifty or three hundred bucks, slip a card into the Raytel, and be good to go. Yep, exactly. Yeah, that's the really nice thing about a desktop. Yeah, yeah, that really is. Well, on the other hand, you can also use the external GPU on the desktop. You can, yeah. It's true too, yeah, because I think it actually does have a USB C. Yeah, I got a I got a Dell here. I got a couple of Dell machines in for review that have uh, USB C ports on them, and th- some of them are Thunderbolt three. It just has to be Thunderbolt three, really. Yeah, you'd basically okay. just be paying a couple hundred bucks premium for a lot of flexibility. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. not that bad, actually. Yeah, and so it's somewhat limiting, but you know that in, it, it's got to be better than that Intel graphics, that embedded stuff. Because I think just, everything would be better. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I wanted to mention the uh, oh, there's a couple of things we should. Okay, all right. Let's clear the decks. We got to clear the decks. Let's go to scaleyourcode.com. Let's just you know we'll clear the decks here for a second, and we're going to go to scaleyourcode.com where you can learn from successful developers and get access to interviews, inside looks, and tutorials. Really good, deep stuff with people that have worked with this. ScaleYourCode.com. You sign up. It's a nice, low-flow, private mailing list. 
You just get notifications when there's new stuff, and you get access to all the existing stuff. So if you want to build something that's impressive or reliable, it's nice to learn from people that have been in the trenches. Learn how to develop the best code from people that have built some of the best infrastructures. You can get a little taste of that. Like Here's an example. Jeff Atwood on building Discourse, Stack Exchange, and some coding horror stories. <laughs> he co-founded Discourse. Stack Overflow and Stack Exchange. He's also got a popular blog called Coding Horror, so he's got a lot of good stories. Uh, and he wrote the book Effective Programming, More Than Writing Code, and uh, he was on episode 10 over at Scale Your Code. This is an example of something you'll get access to when you sign up. It's not like a tricky thing. They're not going to like put you on some sort of spam mailing list. This is just a really useful resource. It's perfect for our audience. Go to scaleyourcode.com and sign up. Once you sign up, you get access to like Jeff Atwood's interview, also... Uh, Jeremy Edgeberg from Netflix and Reddit and uh, all kinds of – I mean, just, the list goes on and on. It's, it's a really great resource. ScaleYourCode.com. Go there, sign up, and get access to dim interviews. And thanks to Scale Your Code for sponsoring the Coda Radio program. ScaleYourCode.com. So this is cool. And it, as we dug into the story, we realized there's a lot of technology going on here. So the headline is just fun. But then you realize, holy shit, they're pulling off some stuff. So Sega Forever is bringing retro games to iOS and Android for free. Sonic the Hedgehog, um, Comic Zones, all, all kinds of stuff. And uh, it's sort of like their, their finest retro games are coming over to these, uh, to these mobile platforms. This is, this is sort of a big deal. I think they're starting with five games uh, initially. Mm-hmm. And then they're going to move more. They're going to move, move like more over because they're like building like some sort of core technology platform. They, for all this crap. They are releasing new games every two weeks. Whoa! Yeah. So they've built some. They must have built some sort of system here, some sort of emulation platform, right? Uh, kind of. They're they're splitting it between uh, emulated stuff and native ports. Oh, really? Yeah. So like the the older stuff that's on like Sega Master System and the Genesis is going to be emulated. For the most part, as I understand it, and then the newer stuff, like stuff from the Sega CD, is going to be native ports. Jeez, this looks so cool! And they're even actually. talking about porting stuff from the Dreamcast. Oh man, this is looking great! I, mm-hmm. I, I'm excited. What do you think, Mike? Very excited. If I could get lost in Shenmue again, the world of revenge. <laughs> crazy Taxi, <laughs> crazy, my, crazy Taxi, Sonic. I think it already exists. Sonic. There's others. There's also certain incarnations of Sonic. But oh man, this is. Uh, I I find this to be sort of like the benefit of being patient, also, because you get you get these these later systems that are that are so powerful that in their spare breath in their spare time they can emulate the entire system of an older architecture. Mhm. So that is the best thing about as technology gets faster and better. This stuff was state of the art back then and now it's just like it's an app on your phone. And I'm glad that they're not just go, like trying to shoehorn all their stuff into one basket. Like they're choosing, you know, this stuff would be better native and this stuff works fine with emulation yep yeah i agree so i would love to see more tech details about how they've pulled the son of a bitch off uh, they say it's going to include both official emulations and ported games that span all sega console areas and uh, sega confirmed to ours that uh, mega drive and genesis games will run via emulation while saturn and dreamcast games will be direct ports it makes sense that saturn is uh, going to be ports as well because the Saturn was 
famously super hard to code for because it was one of the first consoles that used dual CPUs. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. I forgot about that. Nice. And call the back. Dreamcast is a fucking Windows system. <laughs> <laughs> and now it's going to be on Android. Hey, oh, everybody. Hey, oh. Nicely done, Microsoft. <laughs> yeah, uh, this little side tangent. Uh, there was a book out. Damn, was it called Console Wars, I think? about how Microsoft just basically screwed Sega over on the Dreamcast. Mm-hmm. They totally used the Dreamcast as an R&D project for the Xbox. Yeah. Like, well, that didn't work. Yeah. Sort of like how they yeah. did with IBM, too. It's interesting how history works. So, interesting. Let's go install Linux on Azure. Let's just go do that really well. Well, Sony, Sony made the right choice with BSD. I mean, we can all agree on that. I, what, I, by screwing Nintendo? I, <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah, they did exactly the same thing. Huh? Yep. Have you guys been noticing the GitHub trend? Some people are using GitLab, uh, but more and more open source projects that were on, say, like Launchpad and Bazaar are now notorious. Are yeah, they're bonus like, points for mentioning Bazaar. That's Mark <laughs> Shuttleworth is very happy. Yeah, well, they're 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 abandoning ship like rats from a sinking uh, boat because uh, I I. I I actually had a running list, and it was four projects strong from the last week that have switched over to GitHub. Probably the one that is the most discussion-worthy is uh, – it was going to be another one, but now it's Elementary OS. Elementary OS, which is derived from Ubuntu. So there are inherent values in being plugged into that whole Ubuntu, Launchpad, Bazaar ecosystem has decided it is more valuable to move to GitHub. I am super behind all of it because – yeah, there is there is no other service that has an interface that's as easy to use as GitHub, and it makes it so easy to collaborate and add code. You don't even have to like use Git anymore. You can just do it from their website. Oh, why do you hurt me? Mm. <laughs> that's that's salt. not it's good. Salt. That's like saying. That's like saying you don't need to know how to run a Linux server. Server, <laughs> you could just use. <laughs> you could just use Docker. No, 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 nope. Oh well, yes, you could use Docker and <laughs> yep. pay someone to do that for you. Exactly. Actually, that's a that's a good idea. Um, no, no, but well, I'm looking I, at it from. I was with you. I was with you until you went there. I'm Go looking ahead. at it from the 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 end user perspective, where you know you might not necessarily know Git, but you want to contribute to a project. You can just go and edit a file, and then submit a pull request. Yeah, so 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 that's okay, right? Because that that stuff is just actually creating a Git commit on GitHub's yeah, backend, exactly. Um, but it gets a little scarier when you start getting into like the GitHub proprietary build tools. Oh, I don't know anything about that stuff. That stuff's like totally proprietary, and there there's not a lot of ways out of it. But you know, on the whole, I think this is a good thing. Um, I am doing a super secret project that will hopefully launch in the fall. That is totally new, totally secret, totally on GitHub. Oh, oh! Now <laughs> I wonder, totally can I without without revealing too much? So, so here's a couple of uh, the uh, elementary OS projects motivations. So you say GitHub is integrated with Slack, mm-hmm. and, and I think <laughs> that's really easy to dismiss. Oh well, fancy oh, well. bots, yeah. But you know what? Uh, sure as shit, if it isn't helped me a couple of times, like the calendar bot, yep. like I discovered that there was an Ask Noah because of the calendar bot. And you did too, I <laughs> yeah. think, right? Yeah. And it was like, and then Rekai telegrams me, he's like, do you know about this? And I'm like, no, I saw that too. Like, I don't know what, like that shit is actually useful. And uh, they can get one every time a pull request is submitted, which means they can be right on it right away. 
and I think I, I would zoom out even further and say just being on GitHub opens you up to a whole new community of contributors. It, yeah. Anytime you remove oh, yeah. the need to create an account for somebody for them to get involved, that is good. I, I personally know that there are coders out there that are just bored and looking for projects to work on. They'll just search something in the GitHub search to find a project and work on it. Yeah. They say also uh, the README thing is nice. Every app has a quick and easy readily uh, README available. Downstream uh, likes GitHub because it uses Git, making it easier to package our software for other Linux distributions like Fedora. And a license file, which is super important. So I, I think even even if you're not using GitHub, if you're using something like GitLab, I think it's pretty clear that Git itself, Git, mm-hmm. is becoming sort of universal. And probably rightfully so to some degree. Even I think it's I think even the BSD projects are feeling the pressure. They also claim they're gonna have better code reviews. Uh, GitHub allows us to enforce some behaviors for branches. Specifically, we can disallow the ability to push to the master branch and require code reviews. We can also require yep. that branches pass status checks like testing and even dismiss old approvals when new commits are pushed. And that shows yeah. you a little bit of how they're thinking about this too. Well, GitHub is becoming your your development management tool, right? So one of my things with GitHub is like if you are starting a new project and you're willing to go kind of all in with them, it's like an out-of-the-box, hey, you're you're an almost semi-competent development manager now. Mm, mm. If you just simply follow the things that they recommend, right? Um, and a lot that you mentioned, right? Enforce regression testing, enforce code reviews. Do not allow anyone to push to master outside of a uh, on-the-website merge request. Or pull request, rather. I'm sorry. Bitbucket calls them merge requests. One one thing I would like to add about GitHub, though, is if you are one of our younger listeners who always you know writes in asking how to get a job, don't worry about your resume. GitHub is your resume. Yep. Like you have to write a one page resume because you have to. But if if you do not have a GitHub profile, um, and you are like not a V basic developer, you're basically screwed business yeah i completely agree yeah your github link should be at the top of your resume yes right right it should be like github link forget about a blog forget about all that stuff that's just a lot of work you don't need to do yeah just have a github even even if you're doing a you know a you know golden axe three clone with you know james comey and hillary clinton and and obama (laughs) and trump i had to do it i had to do it (laughs) it's all good (laughs) i will play that you know what uh i have had several interviews when i'm uh like when i'm talking to uh, developers in the open source community the most recent one was the uh, developer of the home assistant project uh where they use they want me to link to their github page when i when i contact them they say see my github page for more information like they are using their GitHub page as their forward, like ahead of LinkedIn, ahead of Twitter, ahead of email. Here's my GitHub page. And I think I don't know if I agree. I don't know if that's great, but I want. I do think Mike's point of if you're a younger developer or if you're looking for work, you need to understand how that how real that is. And that's why that's why projects right. like Elementary are like, well, okay, we're going all in. Also, I thought okay, this. Okay. Go ahead. Well, GitHub has become a standard, right? I sort of still prefer the Atlassian suite, uh, Jira and Bitbucket. But it's it's definitely one of my old man curmudgeonly things where if I was to start over again, let's say in two weeks, um, I would go with GitHub. Mm. See, to me, Even though there'd be some pain. I think the, the killer feature of GitHub <laughs> is that they um they have a really simple but powerful issue tracker mm. where 
I there's no other issue tracker that I find even remotely good. Interesting. That's exactly what they said. They say richer yeah. issue reports because GitHub uses Markdown everywhere. We can get much better issue reports with embedded images and code snippets. Yep. GitHub support issue templates, yep. and we can also uh, guide people on how to best supply the necessary information for trickier components that we want bug reports on. And maybe best of all, both the issue report itself and the comments have been uh, have reactions which cut down on Me Too comments and other noise that can actually hide useful information yeah. like you can plus one and that's like markdown support and the ability to plus one it actually adds up it, it, that, that matters yeah well it's really good for open source too i mean i had an open source library uh, way way back in the day called md networking that uh, was on bitbucket and bitbucket had none of these features at the time uh, and this is like the ios six days maybe even five probably five and you would just get a bunch of, hey, I have this issue too comments. So my, I would wake up and my email box would just be flooded with this crap. And, you know, thank God uh, AI networking or AFI networking came and killed my entire project, <laughs> which I was super happy for because I'm going to say, hey, don't use this anymore because I'm not maintaining it. But yeah, right. Like, in fact, I just did it today. There's an issue in a library I'm using. And instead of like writing the guy and saying, hey, I also have this problem, I just plus one the issue tracker. Right? Yeah, exactly. To show him that it's not the noise. He's, he's not going to be bombarded. Because you know what? That's frustrating, right? If you, Especially if you're not like super deep into open source. If you're just you know, hundreds maybe of maybe more like me too right. emails. Right. It's like, okay, dude, I, I wrote this library. It's generic enough. I decided to like, at the time I put it out under the BSD license. But the fact that you can't figure out how to do a, a put request on iOS is not my problem. <laughs> Right. Yeah, yeah. I'm happy that you're using my library, but I'm unhappy that you want me to help you write your client's app for you. Well, yeah, so. and the the plus ones also yeah. make it really easy to see what should be a priority at a glance. Yeah, exactly. Right. Well, it's been interesting to see a sort of summer of GitHub rush to see a lot of these projects moving over to GitHub. That's or in some, it's a couple of cases. Summer of love. Yeah, it's summer of GitHub. It's the summer of GitHub. Some projects have been moving to GitLab, but I'd say the majority are actually just going to. GitHub there definitely itself. is some resistance to uh, some projects moving to GitHub, though, because I, for like a year and a half now, have been trying to get the the Quasal project to move over to GitHub <laughs> because they're on Redmine, and that thing is horrible. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, even you got to just say, hey, even the NSA. Is on GitHub. No, that yeah, would I mean, make them go the opposite direction. <laughs> <laughs> they got cool logos for the NSA. They got so the NSA stuff. doesn't care what platform you're on because they're tapping the cables under the water. <laughs> I just want to say that. Don't That's give a shit what website you're on. So is this the last episode uh, from uh, New Jersey or do we have another one? Like, how, What's happening next? Yes, I begin my great exodus. Uh, I won't call it a trail of tears because that's offensive. But, are, are you uh, riding or flying? I am driving to Virginia. Virginia, driving my car into the back of a train, taking the train to Orlando and driving that to Valrico. Wait a minute. Like you actually drive the car onto the train? Correct. Oh, yeah. You've told me about – did you – you no. know, you, you're you from the East Coast. You know this is a thing? No. Okay. This sounds remarkable to me. Like you – so do you – are there a bunch of other cars on this train or is it like a train car just for your car? No, they, they, yeah, there's a bunch of cars, right? So, so it's an Amtrak train and there's a, there's like a whole bunch of containers basically that they put cars in. So they, so you get to like a parking lot where there's containers and then you drive your car into a container and then they come along and pick up those containers. So 
there's two ways it can happen. It depends, I guess, on demand or whatever. I don't, I don't know why. Sometimes you can drive in and just hand the keys to like an attendant. Um, that is almost never the case. Most of the time you drive it and you drive it into somewhere, they take it, they take the car key and it just, I don't know what they do with it when they get it. I'm sure they don't leave it where I put it because that would be impossible, but you get out and then somebody brings you your car, right? So you, when, when you get to Florida, they literally have your car key. And like, for instance, we have two cars. So my wife's cars, I paid. So hers comes out in like the first 30, uh, mine, I'm not doing that. But so, basically, yeah, they based, based on what you pay, they bring your car out first. And how long would it take you just to drive to this destination in Florida? Oh, 15 to 20 hours. But keep in mind, I have a 14 yeah, month yeah, old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. the train and then train might have Wi Fi. Is that is that a thing? Train has Wi Fi and we got a sleeping car. So I'm Ooh. hoping, the, and it's an overnight train. So I'm hoping the kid will just sleep. Good for you. Good for you. Plus, and, you're saving yeah. on the gas costs. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, they, and for two cars, the gas costs would also be. So, uh, so are we on for next Thursday then? We should be. I mean, I will possibly be okay. doing this from the back of an alligator with no shirt on Putin sure. style. I hope so. I hope so. I dream, well, I dream, I dream of that. If you're least. not, I'll be disappointed. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, we've moved, that's a deal. So we've moved the show to Thursdays. We'd love to have you join us live. If you go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar, if something has to change because of Mike's situation, we will try to update the calendar there as we know, jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar. But yeah, we're doing it on Thursdays now. We used to do the show on Mondays. We've moved it to Thursdays to give us uh, a little more uh, time for things to develop during the week for us to talk about them. And uh, we'd love to have you in the chat room. We've got a few folks there now. Uh, JBLive.tv on Thursdays. And Mr. Dominic, boy, good luck on on the whole move and on the invisible house and on the uh, on the train ride. And uh, also check out the current user error because uh, we so we we appropriated uh, user error for uh, the beer to join us and now we're going to appropriate Coda Radio into user error and bring Mike into Coda. We're doing a cross. We're doing a crossover. So Mike is going to be on. yep, he's going to be in the most recent user error and we'll be talking more about life and all other kinds of things, issues in our community, issues in the Linux community, How and I our hate own developers. Our own damn issues. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> damn. Damn. Mr. Dominic, is there anywhere you want to send people throughout the week before we get out of here? Uh just go to @dimunuku on Twitter. There you go. Keep up. Keep up with the animal over there. Check him out over there. Also, you can follow me at Chris Elias and uh, at Rakai LP. At Rakai LP. Also, check out User to get more of the beard, more myself, and more Mr. Dominic. Go to radio.reddit.com is where you go to get more of the show during the week and submit topics you'd like to hear us talk about. And to give us your feedback, go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact. We do the show live over jblive.tv. And like I mentioned earlier, we got that con- that calendar at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar. Okay, everybody, thanks so much for joining us this week, and we'll see you right back here next Thursday. <laughs>